Hello everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of The War Room. I am your host Mike Overton and joining me this week I have got a really awesome guest. He's well known as the Wolf 359 Project on social media. It is Andy Palatides. Welcome to the Clone Star Podcast. Hello there, pleasure to be here. Thank you for coming, it's a real privilege to have you here. So, yes. let's start at the beginning. What possessed you to write 152,000 words? What possessed me to write 152,000 <laughs> words? Whew. Well, okay, let's let, let, let's rewind back a little bit more, I suppose. You know, I, yep. I, I, I believe I'm of a similar vintage to you. I grew yes. up in the UK in the, in the 80s and 90s. And, and so, you know, one of, one of my kind of uh, form, formative memories is the cliffhanger at the end of Best of Both Worlds, part one. You know, the Mr. Wharf, fire, the music. And, and people who listen to this in the US or, you know, who, who are youngsters and get everything on streaming will never know the six months that followed where it's just like, what, what happened? the <laughs> hell happened? Like, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, it was channel, channel uh, BBC Two, yep. six o'clock, unless it was preempted by the snooker. But, you know, that, that was that was it for Star Trek. And, you know, we didn't have the Internet. There was no social media to talk about. It there was no speculation. It was and it was the summer holiday. So I couldn't even really go and talk to mates at school. It was just like living in my head. For six months, waiting to see what was going to come next, and then fi finally we get part two of uh, Best of Both Worlds, and you know that's just seared into my memory. That that shot of the Enterprise passing through the debris field at Wall Three Five Nine, and all of those starships, you know, kind of destroyed. So that's lived with me for a while, more years than I care to admit on this podcast. Uh, and 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 so we, we'll we'll skip forward a little bit to uh, to that fun period between twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. There was some stuff going on. You might have been there. Yeah, um, nothing. It was nothing major. It was all. No, it was, it was exactly. You know, and, you know. I, I found myself with a lot of free time suddenly. You know, it was, which was strange. <laughs> and, and throughout, I'm like going, you know, I should, I should, I should write this book. You know, I've, I've had this idea in my mind for a long time. I should write this book. I should write this book. I didn't. We got to the end of the whole lockdown period, and then I decided now I will, now I will write this book. And so, um, at the end of uh, lockdown, I decided to start my lockdown project, and I reached out to a very good friend of mine, Eric Muirhead, uh, who sadly can't be here tonight, but. Uh, he was a uh, uh, cut from the same cloth. Uh, he, he's in the US, uh, and also, you know, he's a, a a big fan of Star Trek and had written his own kind of fan fiction project. And like me, likes to take this silly little science fiction show and go, yeah, but what if it was real to the insane degrees that I do? And well, I we pitched do. him. I well, absolutely. But I pitched him. I said, okay, so it's like World War Z, but the Borg, and he was just on board. And then it kind of snowballed from there. And 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 now I get to talk to you. So, yeah. That's an idea, isn't it? World War Z, but with the Borg. There's a lot of leeway there as well, I suppose. <laughs> there is, but you know, when when you say it, it just kind of makes sense. It it just yeah. like, oh, actually, yeah, that's that, that's that's perfect. And and I think with the Battle of World Three Five Nine, it's it's probably the single most significant event in the history of all of Star Trek. In yeah. fact, I think you can very well look at it and say there is a period of time before World Three Five in, in Star Trek, and then there's the period of time afterwards. You know, it's. You know, it's, it's analogous to things like, you know, 9-11 and, and, and Pearl Harbor in, in terms of universe and how the stories are kind of depicted. And I think that also lines up with the sort of period where Gene Roddenberry's health was sort of failing. So he was moving more and more away from the shows. So yeah. they kind of took a much more, I won't say dark or militaristic, but, you know, certainly there's a lot more conflict in the shows post Gene Roddenberry being in Star Trek than there were prior to that. And, you know, Wolf 359 is kind of like that cuck's point. 
to the very fact that you know the most recent live action Star Trek show, I think it's the most recent, right? There's certainly the one before Strange New Worlds, but you know, it still is a huge plot point. It is Wolf 359. So, yeah. um, and if it wasn't to... for Wolf 359, we wouldn't have the Defiant, we wouldn't have the Enterprise E, nope. because they were all put to you know, they were all you know, built and designed after the events of Wolf 359. Small point of order. I, I I do believe that the Sovereign class was actually in development before Wolf 359, but certainly afterwards they sort of decided to... It was uh... amped up. Yes. It, yes, it was exactly, going yes. to be another... You know, it was going... Well, I'm gathering. It was going to be another Galaxy class. It was going to be lots of spas and classrooms and, you know, things like that. No, and I don't then... think it was. No? <laughs> okay, so, 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 well, I mean, it, it, this is kind in of... In my mind, thing that's, about... what I, that's what I think of. It's going to be a no, Galaxy you see, I think I, I think the Sovereign class is actually a response to the Dederodex Warbirds. I think they had the Galaxy class, you know, yeah. this nice shanty hotel, and all of a sudden Romulans show up on the scene again, out of nowhere, and Starfleet suddenly goes, ah, that's bigger than ours, and it has more guns, and mm, we might want to rethink stuff, and and that's when I think they started developing the, the Sovereign class, but yeah. then the Borg happened, and they go, like, we have this plan of a this big ship that we're working on, let's put more guns on it. Yeah, let's let's and, let's let's yeah. whack quantum torpedoes in there and yes. let's, let's get let's we're gonna crank it up to eleven. <laughs> Do the spinal tap. Yeah. I'll tell you what, just talk yes. about Galaxy Class for a second. I found out a really inter interesting fact yesterday and it completely oh, yes. blew my mind. Well, if you think back to TOS the TOS movies, this is yes. Their insignia is the old mm -hmm. TOS Delta with a circle around it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right? In the next generation. The badge is the Delta Shield with an oval in it. Yes. Well, the oval is to is to represent the Galaxy class saucer. I know. How yeah, the hell did it. I not know that? And it's like, and I've spoken to a couple of other very educated Trekkies. Let's go like that. Mm -hmm. They didn't know it either. No, no. I, I think because it was Mike Okuda did the uh, the emblems for, for yeah. the Next Generation, and and I know he. Well, he, I think I he, don't, he worked. I don't think they were all him, but yeah, they, he definitely no. worked on them. But but I, I don't think I, I don't think we can say for certain that the circle for the movie era insignia is the source no. of there. But you can definitely say that the source in, in the, uh, the TNG yeah. ones absolutely is, which is great. It's funny you should mention the Galaxy class. In fact, my next project does involve the Galaxy oh, class. So my favourite book. I'm brushing up on a technical manual. <laughs> I, I'm annoyed that I don't own a physical copy. I have digital copies, but I don't own mm. a physical copy. Oh. I used to take this into school and, and sit and read it on my uh, my lunch break, which is why I was I such do, a lonely child. <laughs> I do have actually. They were um, Eagle Moss were doing them recently. They were doing um, DS Nine Voyager and the Enterprise D. They're not technical manuals, but they were kind. Mm -hmm. They're kind of they were well, they're kind of a technical manual, but a bit more of sort of a. They're, I think they were know. called illustrated handbooks. Yeah, um, and... they were not quite as in yeah. depth, but I mean, I'm quite fortunate that I managed to. Have a copy of Voyager's technical manual that was never published. Yeah. I mean, um, I think, the thing I love about this technical manual, though, the TNG one, is it treats the Enterprise like it's a real starship. Yeah. My, my favourite bit in here is reading about how that, uh, the secondary phaser manifolds uh, were swapped between Yamato and Enterprise because they were a better fit. It's stuff like yeah. that that I love. It's, and it's, it's just, yeah, yeah, and, it, it, you know, it's almost like, the, do you remember the old Haynes manual for the Enterprise that yes. they did? It's that mm -hmm. on steroids. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 that certainly kind of fed into the work we did with three five nine. It was treating it as if it was a real thing in an event. So we can't just kind of take as read that, oh, you know, this happened because that's just how TV was at the time. You know, we we had to account for stuff like in in the debris field. You can see there's the wreckage of a Constitution class starship. Well, we now we have to account for a Constitution class starship there. Why was that then? So 
<laughs> so okay so you this was your lockdown project so uh, kind of yeah it's it been living in my head for a while but then i decided yeah. to do it yeah gotcha so what was your kind of time frame how long did it take you to actually write it uh, I mean, in terms of to write it all, it was probably about two years. I mean, it was probably, it was, we kind of knew the rough outline quite early on, but then yeah. it was, you know, writing it and revising it. And in addition to myself and Eric, there were kind of three other people who kind of contributed works to it. There's Jaime um, Dickian, who was also the page designer and did all the wonderful LCARS graphics, if yeah. you've seen the PDF of a book. Uh, there's Don Conkoch, who many of you may know from Edge of Midnight, who is a Star Trek historian. He does the I Quit Star Trek podcast, and he's just, you know, a fantastic chap. And then there's Claude Berabi, who is the director of the U.S. Naval Academy Museum, who uh, contributed to sections. Well. Yeah, you know, just as you, as you do. Um, so, so they all kind of uh, contributed bits to the uh, to, to the work as well. But uh, yeah, it's about just under two years uh, to get the whole thing from page zero. We actually started writing this uh, the week that the US pulled out of Afghanistan because that was yeah. very much on the news in terms of yeah. a big thing happening on the news. And and it has a lot of resonance with Eric because he had served there previously. Right. So, uh, and, and we kind of fed a lot of that uh, into some of the interviews that we did, well, I say interviews, but you know, the interviews that we do with characters in there in, in terms of dealing with traumatic events later on. Gotcha. So it's, am I right in thinking that the, the second edition, which is what is currently available, is 491 pages, if my memory serves me correctly? Uh, yeah, it's it's about, I mean, the only difference between the editions are, uh, as as people may have been aware, there was a little bit of trouble with Paramount, who who asked us very, very nicely if we would just swap out a few um, screen captures that we put in there and swap out a logo, yep. so we've done that. So, so the second edition is... Exactly the same as the first. Is the one that Paramount are happy with. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. So, uh, but yeah, it's about it's about five hundred pages. You know, you know, with a bit of change in there. Yeah. Uh, all, all told, um, and and yeah, it, it, it's presented in PDF, but you can also get it on archive of our own. Unfortunately, there are no physical copies that we can give out to people. Paramount to be very clear that we cannot offer people physical copies, so they did not exist. Do not ask for them. Sorry. No, I mean, that's, I mean, I think that is a shame because this is one of those things that I would love to see printed. Um, mm. I mean, the artwork that goes through here, because you've got the, um, there's various artworks, but they're, I want to say to me, they look, they look like oil paintings. Oh, uh, so, so those were done by Steve Johnson, who yeah. is, is an amazing artist. I was just about to say they're Steve's work, and... aren't they? My my pitch to him was I wanted him to treat them almost like courtroom drawings. Yeah, it's almost like he had been given the interview to then kind of transcribe what was what was in there. So, uh, and and he did amazing stuff uh, with, with all of those. Uh, I mean, I first found him online on Twitter where he posted these covers uh, for a comic set during the conspiracy episode of Next Generation. You know, with yep. the, uh, the blue girl things, which he still hasn't written. Come on, Steve, write me that book because you know the artwork's going to be amazing. <laughs> um actually yeah that would be really cool to see but anyway um we're, we're diverging a little bit but yes uh just i mean i i mean i i mean i have to admit i haven't read it all yet mm -hmm. yet and every time i mean if i was just to randomly scroll through and and pick a page i'm just genuinely blown away by the sheer amount of i want to say love and care that's gone into this because i think it really is love and care that has gone into this oh, um you know the shit the the detail of everyone's account is just incredible. 
Um, but also, all of the page designs are beautiful. You've got Klingon UI in there. You've got Borg UI in there. Um, you know, you've got obviously lots of L cards, which makes me happy um, to see <laughs> lots of L cards. Um, as well as all, we of were thinking of you when we did all that. <laughs> well, to be fair, I was I hadn't really kind of delved into it at this at this mm. point. Um, because I, yeah, I mean, I've only been I've only been going a year, be a year next month. Hey. I don't know, nearly a year. God, how time flies, eh? Um, but yeah, and it's it's just, uh, yeah, I'm just genuinely blown away. So are there plans to do more? Are there plans to do more? I mean, it, I suppose the question is, what, what do you mean by more? Uh, well, are there I mean, plans to do... <laughs> what, what, okay, are there plans to do more with the War 359 project? Because there are, I think that there could be some interesting things that could be done. Um, so, uh, in, in terms of for ourselves, uh, we might do a little supplemental work, the ships of War 359, because one of the things that I really enjoyed doing was actually kind of giving each ship that was at the battle a name, a class, and a story. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and that was a lot of fun. And, and I think it would be quite fun to flesh those out, maybe as just a little, you know, uh, supplemental book. Uh, and I'm speaking with Pandas, uh, you know, uh, the great panda from Singapore who does all the amazing Starship artworks about potentially doing some of that and we might put that out uh, as a a uh, community project where you can pick a ship and pitch us the story of that ship and then write that and then we will kind of collate it all together and put that out uh, but yeah I, I mean outside of that probably not anything 359 itself directly because I feel we've told all we want to tell all, all we could really do is tell more ship logs or you know yeah. individual stories and and i think we kind of have a, a a nice spread over that story i don't know what we could add i know a lot of people keep saying to us when are you going to do the dominion war if you got to understand about the dominion war is <laughs> i wrote 500 words on one battle okay? 500 pages 500 pages on one yeah. battle I, I, imagine how big the uh the volumes that the dominion war would have to be i mean i mean and, and until Paramount wants to come up to me and actually commission such a work, which we're open to, uh, that that's probably going to have to wait on the wayside for the time being. But there are other projects. I'm currently working on a project where I'm uh, basically, I, I'm currently writing the history of the Galaxy Class program in a sense that it's the gift book you would get at the end of visiting the Enterprise D at the Starfleet Museum. So that's it's awesome. like the history of the Galaxy Class there. Uh, I've been having a lot of fun with that, kind of fleshing out what the various ships did, uh, and also connecting a few things like making the World Razor make sense in the Prime Universe. It's yep. very cool. Um, so we're working on that. Uh, John's still working on The Edge of Midnight, which is his account of the um, the Klingon Federation Cold War, actual war that you know is in like Discovery and TOS. Yeah. Uh, Hi is will be going back to working on the Oniaka 3 project, which is to do with the uh, the Borg Reclamation project that Hugh is running. Uh, and Eric, I don't think is currently working on anything, but his USS Pershing series, which is about the um, uh, post-Dominion War reconstruction of Cardassia and everything up until yeah. Nemesis uh, is, is out there as well. So there's plenty of other things to be getting on with and reading in the meantime. Um, but yes, 359, I, I think, is, is, is done. <laughs> For me, anyway. I think... The one thing that surprised me, well, I'm going to say it surprised me a little bit. It is page 245. 245. Titled... You'd have to remind me exactly Liam Shaw. Ah, yes. <laughs> so I'm guessing that that was obviously added in after Picard had aired. So, so let, me let me tell you a story. I'm really intrigued to know, because you've kind of fleshed out 
a decent amount about Liam Shaw over, mm. I want to say it's three pages, isn't it? Yeah, over yeah. three pages. And I'm just intrigued to know how you did that, how you came up with that. Let me let me tell you the tale of Liam Shaw in the Battle of Wolf 359. Now, as you know, uh, as, as someone who hosts a, a, a podcast and does reviews, occasionally uh, studios uh, who I want will give you a review copy of a show in advance so you can do it. You know, I'm not right. saying that you personally, but people are familiar that yep. review copies are screeners are a thing which exist. And about a month before Picard season three dropped, all of a sudden, all these people who knew I'd been working on this project, this project which was for all intents and purposes, pretty much done, started going to me, Andy, Andy, I got to love Picard. They talk about Wolf 359 on there. It's amazing. You think I'd be excited? Oh, no. Instantly, I'm like, shit, what, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, I'm like, are, are we are we time traveling? Are we going to see this? Are we going to nullify all of my work here? You know, I, there, there was no small amount of, ah, because let me tell you something. With a few bits, a few liberties, if you will, with beta canon, we're pretty good with alpha canon. Nothing in there directly contradicts anything that's firmly established. We explain where there's contradictions over which ships survive, be it the Anawahi or the Endeavor or the Hood or whatever. You know, we 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 cover our bases. But all of a sudden, they're talking about Wolf 359. No one would tell me what it was. They would just tell me Wolf 359 is mentioned. So so we get to the episode and. Then there's the first episode where we introduce that computer virus that was supposedly on the Enterprise in yeah. um, Best of Both Worlds, which is not there and it makes no sense. It was just irritating. So I, I kind of I wrote that out with a paragraph and I was like, okay, that's fine. I could relax. I could relax at that point. But then we got to the third episode and we get that magnificent speech from Todd Stashwick as Shaw, sure, yeah. where he gives this monologue. And it was just like, oh my God, this is absolutely amazing. I mean, it's basically just taken straight out of a book and, and has made it flesh. But we were like, we knew in that moment we had to include something for, for sure. Yeah. And uh, and I will give all my credit to to, to Eric Eric Muhead, my co-writer, who is a serving U.S. Army uh, officer, and and he wrote that pretty much in an afternoon. And he just pulled on his experiences of knowing enlisted personnel who had served in places like Iraq and in Afghanistan. He he could pull on that lived experience, and he knocked that out in like an afternoon. And it was just like, okay, we're, we're good. We're just drop that in there you know we just took the bones of what um you know Shaw had said on on screen and just, and just fleshed it out just padded out the sides a little bit a little bit of the color with the idea of uh yeah. go and drop that in there and yeah it's, it's it's a great little sequence but it was definitely one of those clench moments and at that point it's like please don't do anything more with 359 in this show no i could stop um but yeah we got we got it done and we're pretty happy with that but yeah like i said for the most part, we're pretty good with canon. Yep. Any anytime the, the biggest complaints we've had in terms of canon have been the suggestion, the audacity that the Akira class starship might predate Star Trek First Contact. How dare we? Oh. But that's that's like the biggest pushback we've had is, is well that and the Parliament class ship. But you know, it's like for one thing. There's a subset of a community which doesn't seem to have image permanence and the idea that something can exist before you see it for the first time. <laughs> really? Oh, do you know what? I, I would never have guessed that at mm. all ever, that something yeah. could exist before it's seen. But uh, but but I stand by my cho my choices, and I feel I feel I explained the Akira class in the book well. <laughs> yep. Oh, def definitely on that one. Definitely on that one. Hmm. Um... The other... I'll tell you... I'll tell, I'll tell, again, just... The, the other bit, we, we, the bit we, we were kind of most 
uh, worried about when we were coming in this out is we know that one ship survived out of the 40, which was at Wall 359 yep. from the Drumhead episode. So we had to make a decision over which ship would survive. And um, the thing about the hood is everyone will turn around to you if you say, you know, and, and I can go and post a picture right now on Facebook and just say USS Hood survived Wall 359. 200 comments all telling me I'm wrong. Straight away, guarantee. <laughs> that came out because it's, it, it's referenced in, I believe, the autobiography of John Luke Picard and a couple of other books that the hood was there. Yep. Uh, served at War 359. But traditionally, uh, I think the Star Trek Encyclopedia states it was the US Citizen Endeavor survived, mostly because Janeway reads a blog entry from a Captain Amazon, so that must be it. Or the Unhawahi, because it appears on NLC. A lot of people, you know, will take issue with me suggesting the hood survived. But the reason we made the hood the, uh, the survival 359 is because it's got such an interesting parallel story to Star Trek. It's yep. the very first starship besides Enterprise you see in Next Generation. Yep. You know, Riker and Geordi both served on the ship prior. And yep. when you first meet Captain DeSoto and it's his one episode with um, in Tin Man, instantly, this is like a really likable, you know, you, you, you want to know this guy. He's like a, an interesting he character. his own show, yeah. Well, basically, yeah. And, and so for the purposes of the story, I thought it was much more interesting to follow that ship and that character than another ship that was just no particular resonance there. And I, I feel justified that later on we see the hood is in the Dominion War, it's shown in Lower Decks. Yeah. And then there's that one episode the uh, where uh, Nog and Jake have to kind of uh, trade favours to, yes. um, to get a thing. And one of the things he has to do is take a picture of um, Cisco's desk. And he references that this guy has... DeSoto's desk is part of his collection. Now, who is taking the picture of the guy who just hauls his ass between space stations? No one is, okay? <laughs> if you want your picture taken in that desk, he's done something worthwhile. So there yeah, you go. Exactly. So <laughs> I come with receipts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so what was one of your biggest challenges for them with putting the book together? I mean, the biggest challenge is probably just trying to... The 60 years of history yeah. and writers who have written this story and not as obsessed about the details as we are. I, I mean, the, the single biggest challenge I had writing this book was Star Trek Voyager, who every right. other week dropped in some new bit of Voyager, uh, Borg law or 359 law, just because, you know, that that was that was the biggest challenge where, you know, you, you, you think you've got a good handle on the story and everything's fine, and someone says, well, yeah, but they mentioned something in Survival Instinct. It's like, they do. I've got to go home and watch the entire episode to find it, and it's like, yep. God damn it. But it was, it was trying to weave that narrative thread where it all... It, it all made sense and, and, and it all kind of came together. And we actually kind of surprised ourselves in how well it does come together in some places. Like we yep. introduced this idea that, so again, small spoiler if you haven't read the book, but the book's been out for a year. So sorry, Mike, but I'm going to do this. We have a subplot that there was a Romulan ship following the Borg from Romulan space through the Federation, spying on what right. the Borg were doing, you know, just intelligence gathering. And... The reason why there's only 40 starships at Wolf 359 isn't because that's all the ships they can muster. What they were trying to do is they were trying to make this star go Nova. They were trying to blow up the star to destroy the Borg to stop it happening. The 40 ships were just there to monitor and maybe clean up afterwards. Yep. It all goes fairly wrong. But then we were like, well, if Robinsons are there, and maybe they saw that and started getting ideas. So they go over, get the information, take this information back home. They start playing with trilithium. The connection of generations, why the Romulans are there dealing with so on. And then later on, they accidentally blow up their own son. It all starts coming together. We also see like the Romulans have the artifact. They have this Borg cube there. There's, there's an entire 
backstory between the Romulans and the Borg, which is fascinating. And it was because just... We don't actually know where the artifact came from, do we? Yeah. Really? We do not. Well, they, they mentioned that... They've hinted at things. A, they, they, well, in, in Picard season one, they say that the Borg, uh, a they assimilated a Romulan ship and it basically broke the brain of that cube and then it was abandoned. And yeah. we fleshed some of that stuff out in the book there. But, you know... If, if you recall in the 09 film, uh, the Narada, that's, if, if you read the background comic, that's supposed to be filled with Borg tech and all that. So yeah. there's this whole through line with the Borg and the Romulans that we wanted to explore a little bit in there. And we kind of just connect these dots and pull this web where it just all came together. And it was just like, damn, I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> what is your favourite part of the book? And that can be, it can be an illustration, it could be a quote, it could be an entire chapter. My favourite part of the book isn't necessarily a part of the book. It's the reaction I've had to the book. Yeah. And this is going to make me sound like some sort of sadist, but it's not the case. But it's the amount of people I've made cry reading mm -hmm. the book. Like, I, I've, I've had people who've told me that, I, I mean, when I was writing this, you know, I'd give it to my wife to just kind of read through some stuff when she was going to from work. And she'd come home and give me shit because she'd, be, she'd find herself crying on the tube because she'd been reading a bit and she got upset. Um, Annie, Eric's wife, who did a lot of a proofreading, would, 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 you know, she still gives me shit because there's a particular character that I kill. And every time she's like, I, I, I know he's going to die and I don't want them to die. Um, and there's, there's just one, we, we have interviews with Jake Sisko in there and, and you get to the end of one of them where Jake talks about how he can't remember what his mum smells like and he just wishes he can hug his mum. And, and everyone who reads that one, you know, there's not a dry in the room. And, and I think that's probably what I'm kind of most proud of is the fact that it, it's had such a visceral connection with people yeah. that it has affected them like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that's probably what I'm most proud of. <laughs> and if you had to do it all over again, mm -hmm. what would you do differently? What would I do differently? I don't know if I would do anything differently with the book. I, I, I think what's a real shame these days is you used to be able to to take a project like this to to Paramount or to Simon and Social or what have you, and they were much more receptive to fan submissions for works to 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 do things. And that apparatus just doesn't exist anymore. No. And and I, I think the, the one thing I would like to be different is I, I would have loved for this to be an official project i would have loved for this to be something that you know you could go and have a physical copy of but there's just no way for you to do that unless you are already you know a, an established author or if you're already inside the 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 uh the sphere that is you know the paramount machine and i think that's a real shame because you know so many of the great writers i mean ron moore wouldn't get his start today if it wasn't for fan submission works you know yep. una mccormick wouldn't be writing the work that she's doing without that fan submission side of things now and you know it's it's just it's a huge shame but that's kind of my biggest regret there is the fact that we can't make this official and, and put it in front of people because there's just the mechanisms just aren't in place to do that yeah no i think that but i think that's the way of the world now for a lot of things it's not necessarily just star mm -hmm. trek but there's a lot of things where they just don't they just don't have the time or the resource to sit there and sift through you know pitches and all of this kind of thing um which is a shame because yes, as you're right, if you know, that is how some of the the best sci-fi authors got started. It is, but I don't think there's anything wrong with it not being official. I mean, Star Trek contradicts itself constantly. Yeah. You know, it, 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 within its own, within the 
with its own series, it, it will contradict itself. And, and, you know, our take on the Battle of Wall 359 is no more or less valid than, say, JTVFX's one on YouTube, which, you know, is, is, is absolutely amazing. I love that animation. Yep. Uh, you know, or, or, or any other version, you know, we're not the be all and end all, but we we wanted to tell this story and, and, and that is how it is. And, you know, the nice thing is it is there free for anyone to go and read. You know, you can go and download it and, and have a read and uh, just enjoy it, you know? So if somebody does want to go and read it, where can they read it? Well, you can go and read it at uh, wolf359project.com. It's it's an amazing website, beautifully designed. Uh, the webmaster should definitely get a release. Uh, <laughs> um, it's also on Archive of Our Own, uh, AO3. If you just search for We Have Engaged the Borg or Project, uh, wolf359project, you'll find it everywhere. It's on social medias and stuff. I, I dare say you may even put notes in the show notes below of where yep. you can find these it links. It will be linked <laughs> in the description of this video for sure. Yes. Um. Awesome. Well, I have one last question to ask you. Okay. It takes no thinking whatsoever. It's super, super okay. easy. Andy, what does yes. Star Trek mean to you? What does Star Trek mean to me? Star Trek to me means stories. Stories. It means stories. It means stories. If, if, I, could, if I could steal from one of the other great science fiction shows of all times, we're all just stories in the end, so let's make it a good one. And, yeah. and I think that's at its core of it. I, I, I love, again, I just showed you, I've got the Star Trek technical manual. I love obsessing about, you know, plasma manifolds and Heisenberg constants. Yep. But, but what attracts me to Star Trek and, and all science fiction are the stories that we tell within it. Yes. Uh, and, and so compelling stories is what Star Trek means to me. That's awesome. I've never, you know, I've never, have, never thought of it that way before. I like that one yeah. a lot. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so, just want to very quickly say thank you for my gift oh you're welcome <laughs> um and yes make sure you check out wolf359project.com um it's a great oh, site i'll tell you what one, one thing very quickly so, so i'm not entirely sure when this will be dropping so uh well, this, this is either news for the future or news for the past but we are currently working on an audio adaptation of the book that is oh. that is in progress right now uh, uh, a very, very talented individual, Stephen Van Doren, is uh, producing this work. And it is a community project in that anyone can uh, put forward an audition to read for one of the characters in there. I can tell you we've already got some pretty exciting uh, voices lined up in, in the story. And uh, it's going to be released for free as a podcast series, most likely, where you'll get a different interview uh, each week uh, as they go along. It'll go on all the socials and everything once we know all that. But yes, that's a very exciting thing. But if you do want to if you want to listen to it, you can do that. But if you want to be part of it, uh, definitely send a, uh, a message to Stephen Van Doren uh, with your audition, as it were. And, and, and then you can be part of the story. You can tell your story. That's really cool. Hmm. Okay. You will definitely get an audition from me at some point then on that one. Um, I'm expecting you to do your best Riker, okay? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm going to get my leg high enough. Um, <laughs> so, Andy, if people want to reach out to you, where is the best place to get hold of you? I mean, if you want to reach me on, on the social medias, uh, I, I, I'm still circling the drain on the bird site because everyone I think everyone is, is to be uh, fair. A lot wait, of people wait, say, wait, just... oh, I'm leaving and I've yet, I've only ever seen one person leave. Mm. Um, and that's it, yeah. So. Well, it's it's Wolf Three Five Nine Project on all the social medias uh, and everything. My personal one is Andy Three E. That's A N D Y number three, and then the letter E, uh, which you can find on all those places as well. 
uh, but yeah, uh, discords and stuff. But I, I'm, I'm an old man. I don't know how discords work. Someone just set up a discord for me, and now it's there, and I talk to people on it. <laughs> to be fair, I'm the same. I have a discord server, and I have no idea what to do with it half the time. Yeah, exactly. So, it's just um... <laughs> awesome. Well, Andy, thank you so much for joining me this week. Uh, thank you everyone for listening and watching to this episode. Make sure you check out our website, clonestarpod.com, for the latest news reviews episodes and as well we have a awesome new line of show merch which has just dropped with war room t-shirts and 10 forward t-shirts as well until next time live long and prosper